seriously popular. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Lucy Letby is accused of the murder of seven babies and the attempted murder of ten others while she was working on the neonatal unit at the Countess of Chester Hospital. Letby denies all of the charges over the incidents. Lucy Letby was the only person working on the night shift. It was alleged in court that their mother was apparently told by Miss Letby, trust me, I'm a nurse. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations, the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven infants and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. In total, there are 22 charges, all of which she denies. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for the Mail, I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week on this podcast, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. The case against Lucy Letby is that she murdered or tried to kill 17 babies while she was working as a neonatal nurse at the Countess of Chester Hospital in the northwest of England. She denies the charges. The babies in this trial are not being named for legal reasons, and the identities of their families are also being protected. They're known only as babies A to Q. Seven of the babies died. Ten survived. Each one of these babies was or is someone's son or daughter and the mums, dads and families of every baby are present in court, listening to every detail of how their child was allegedly killed or harmed. We'll be bringing you that detail as the jury is hearing it from the prosecution and defence. We're getting behind the headlines to explain far more than the news reports you'll be reading, watching and listening to. 
and the importance of a fair trial is paramount, so we won't be getting into anything in this podcast that the jury have not been told, because they are the 12 people who have to decide the outcome of this case. The jury is now hearing about each baby in turn. We've already heard about how five babies, babies A, B, C, D and E, were allegedly killed or harmed by Lucy Letby over a six-week period in the summer of 2015. Last week, we started hearing about the sixth baby in the case. Welcome to Episode 8, Baby F, Part 2. So Liz, this is the second part of episode eight, and we split the episode into two because of some delays in the court case. Yeah, that's right, Caroline. We lost a day because a juror was poorly, and so the court hadn't heard all the relevant evidence by the time we needed to record. We've already heard that it's the prosecution case that Lucy Letby poisoned baby F with insulin during a night shift in August 2015 when he was around a week old. Yes, the jury have been told that baby F was the youngest of identical twins and the allegation is that Lucy Letby tried to kill him with insulin. This was allegedly after she killed his brother, who the court know as baby E. Lucy Letby is accused of attacking both boys in the space of around 27 hours. Baby E died in the early hours of August the 4th after she allegedly injected air into his bloodstream and then baby F was poisoned with insulin. We heard in the last episode that in the hours after the death of his brother, Baby F's parents were desperate to get him to a district hospital closer to their home. The court heard that he was due to go later that day, but there were no ambulances available to transport him. So Baby F was still in Nursery 2, which was the high-dependency room on the neonatal unit, when, just a few hours later, Lucy Letby came onto the night shift, and the prosecution say that was when she struck again. Baby F was so tiny that he could only be fed tiny amounts of his mother's breast milk. So this was supplemented with nutrients, which were in a bag up on a drip. And it's two of these bags which, the prosecution allege, were tampered with. And when you say tampered with, Liz, the jury were told that Lucy Letby allegedly injected insulin into these bags, effectively poisoning Baby F. Yes, we've heard from the doctors and nurses on duty and jurors have also seen medical records, which showed that at midnight on August the 4th, Lucy Letby and another nurse set up the bag of nutrients for baby F. Two hours later, his heart rate suddenly surged and his blood sugar crashed to dangerously low levels. The nurse who helped Lucy Letby set up the bag for baby F was his designated nurse. Now, we can't name her for legal reasons, but she gave evidence to the jury. She told the court that baby F had been nice and stable during the first part of her shift. But she said, Suddenly at some point between midnight and 1am, his heart rate has gone up. His breathing rate has gone up, and both to a concerning level. Something wasn't right, was it? His heart rate was high and his sugar was low. It was an indication to me in a baby that had been stable that something had changed. Through the early hours and the next day, doctors struggled to stabilise baby F's glucose levels. Yeah, they gave him sugar water, but it did little to help and his blood sugar remained low. We've even heard that nurses changed the nutrient bag, replacing it with a fresh bag about 11 o'clock the following morning, but his sugar levels failed to improve. 
By then, Lucy Letby had finished her shift and gone home. And this is crucial because the prosecution say not only did she poison the nutrient bag she helped set up at midnight, but before she clocked off at around 8am, she went to the fridge and poisoned another bag. And that was the second bag Baby F received. Liz, it wasn't until Baby F was taken off the nutrient bag altogether at 7 o'clock in the evening on August the 5th that his blood sugar returned to normal. One of the prosecution expert witnesses this week was Professor Peter Heinmarsh. Now, he's an insulin expert at University College in London, and he explained why this happened. Yes, Caroline, he examined Baby F's medical records and concluded that a commonly used synthetic insulin, known as Act Rapid, which was kept in the same fridge on the unit, had been given to Baby F via his nutrient bag. He said that blood sugar readings taken from Baby F between midnight on August the 4th and 7pm the following day suggested that both bags had been contaminated more or less to the same degree. The insulin remained in a steady state in Baby F's blood up until about 7pm when he was eventually taken off the nutrient bag, the professor said. And only after that did his blood sugar stabilise. Baby F had no other problems and was finally transferred out of the Countess to another hospital eight days later. And Professor Heinmarsh wasn't the only expert that the jury heard from this week, Liz. No, he wasn't. And Caroline, as we've heard from before, in other cases, the prosecution's two main expert witnesses, retired consultant paediatrician Dr Dowie Evans and neonatologist Dr Sandy Bowen, also gave evidence. And I think, Liz, Dr Evans made reference to a test done on a sample of baby F's blood, which listeners may remember from last week was taken when he was poorly. Yes, the results showed that despite having dangerously low blood sugar, baby F's insulin levels were very high. Dr Evans described the results as striking and really very astonishing. And in his expert view, this could only have been synthetic insulin. In other words, a manufactured drug. Yes, he said the only explanation for the results was that baby F had been given insulin from some outside source. And Dr Evans also concluded that the insulin had not been injected directly into his skin or muscle, but rather it had been infused more slowly via the bag. Prosecutor Nick Johnson Casey asked Dr Evans, have you ever heard of the legitimate administration of insulin by somebody putting it into a bag of feed? No, never happens, he replied. And Dr Evans explained that it was too dangerous to add insulin to a bag this way. And when Dr Evans' findings were reviewed by the other expert witness, Dr Sandy Bowen, she came to the same conclusion. Yes, she agreed that both bags of nutrient feed had to have been contaminated with insulin. She also explained why neonatal hypoglycemia or persistent low blood sugar levels could be so dangerous for a premature baby. She said it could be absolutely devastating for them. She said, initially babies may become a little unwell, but if left untreated, they could go on to have seizures, fall into a coma and subsequently die. Neonatal fits as a result of very low blood sugar are associated with significant brain damage, she said. Those children go on to have long-term neurodevelopmental problems. 
you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So that's what we heard the prosecution say happened to baby F. Liz, the defense say Lucy Letby did not harm him. But in court this week, they didn't dispute that someone contaminated the nutrient bag with insulin. Lucy Letby's position is she did not harm or try to kill baby F. But Ben Myers, KC, who's her barrister, didn't argue with the prosecution's theory that baby F was poisoned with insulin via the bag. He insisted, though, that Lucy Letby was not responsible. The jury were also read a summary of Lucy Letby's interviews and what she said in relation to baby F when questioned by police before she was charged. She told the police that she remembered the twins because baby E's death had affected her. She denied deliberately harming baby F or injecting him with insulin or putting the drug into his feed. Lucy Letby did, however, ask police whether they had checked baby F's nutrient bag and how they knew the insulin was in it at the time. The prosecution say she must have been the one to contaminate the bags, and they insisted on calling every nurse on duty that night to give evidence, so they could ask them individually, on oath, if they had put insulin in baby F's feed. And each of them replied, no or absolutely not. We've already heard, Liz, that this trial is expected to last for six months at least. In the second part of our chat with broadcaster and experienced court reporter Matt O'Donoghue, he told us how hard it is to report on a long-running trial. The really difficult thing to do over a, a trial, particularly one like this, which is so expansive and that goes on for months, I mean, this is, what is it, something like a six-month trial, I was thinking about what other cases I'd done that had gone on that long. And I I did, I think, every day of a nine-month trial in Liverpool for, it was Joyce and Amos, the two gangsters who ran the Gooch crew in Manchester who were up for a murder. I mean, it was horrific. It was Tyrone Gilbert's wake, who was a victim of gang violence, who'd been shot. And then at that wake, people were out on the street drinking and they drove by and they shot at all the mourners and took another one out. And it was a massive trial. It went on for nine months. There were, I think, 10 co-accused. The the dock was full. And every day you're thinking, how can I maintain the interest in this? You're fighting against everything else that's on the agenda that day. And you want your story to be on because you're personally invested in it and you think it's important. Otherwise, you wouldn't have pitched to have been assigned to it in the first place. And every day you start trying to sell, well, this is what's coming up. You have the morning meeting at 8.30 in the morning. This is what's coming up at court today. This is what we're going to hear. 
great. And then they order from you. Right. Okay. We'll have two minutes 30 on that live third in the program. Over the course of, of what, I don't know, 30 year career so far and still going, I know. Any big court cases that spring to mind? Any, any, have you covered any crucial court cases that really stuck with you? You mentioned that gang trial in Liverpool. Oh God, there are loads that have really stuck with me. Yeah. There is one particular one. And, and again, this sort of feeds into what we were talking about before. So everything we say when we're broadcasting is strictly governed by the Contempt of Court Act. And we've got the Ofcom and Ipso and all the different moral guidelines. And then afterwards, you've got libel and defamation. So I need to start this by saying the two individuals involved were acquitted at the end of it. That is, the jury could not reach a conclusion. And this is the longest jury deliberation that I had ever been on. And I think it was 23 days at Preston Crown Court that that jury sat and could not make their mind up. And in the end, the judge said, look, you can't make your mind up. There's nothing I can do. I've given you a majority verdict. You still can't make your mind up. That's a hung jury. You're gone. And they walked. Matt, I think I know which case you're talking about because I covered it too. This is the case of Charlene Downs, isn't it? Charlene Downs, indeed. Absolutely. And that case is one that has and always will stick with me, not least because her parents I got to know particularly well. And they would call me up after their day in court and we would chat through stuff. The backdrop of it is a young girl who went missing in Blackpool and was never seen again. And the accused were two guys who ran a kebab shop opposite the drag club in Blackpool called Funny Girls. The contention from the prosecution was that Charlene had been murdered. She'd been groomed. She was part of a grooming network of uh, men who then used her. And then something had happened. She'd been chopped up and basically the people who went for their kebabs on a Saturday night was the prosecution's contention had consumed Charlene without knowing it. And the details of that case were horrific, utterly, utterly horrific. And to have, as you have in your case now, parents who've lost a child, it's so the wrong way around. Nature sets you up so that you just don't ever expect that that will happen. And it's on your kid's toes to deal with the fact that you go before they do. And that's why deaths of kids are the ones that really, really stick with you. If you do this job properly, you empathize. And that's the only way that you can do it properly. Otherwise, you become an automaton and your copy has no soul and your broadcasts have no heart. And you feel the pain that those parents feel. You sit in court with them every day. You see them. And then that stuff that they've got to hear. And you, you think, how on earth can you ever, ever get over any of this? And that's probably one of those cases that sticks. I mean, there's a, there's a rake of them. The Yukal Chin. Tyrone Gilbert killings was something else, but it's always to do with getting to know the family. And I think that's what makes a good journalist, you know. Matt, thank you so much for your time. So that's it for part two of episode eight. 
Next week, we'll hear about the case of baby G, the most premature baby in the case, born 16 weeks early. Lucy Letby allegedly tried to kill her on three separate occasions. She survived, but the jury will hear she's been left with irreversible brain damage and problems for life. I'll be in court to listen to the evidence and you can read my daily reports in the mail and on Mail Plus. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lucy Letby Trial or send us an email at the trial of Lucy Letby at gmail.com. <laughs>